HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. I'm Owen Taylor, and I'm the founder of True Love Seeds, um, which is a seed company that focuses on working with growers to preserve culturally important seeds. And I work with over 20 small-scale farmers um, and... The question I ask every grower is, what seed tells your story? Lead me in the kitchen, what are we going to make? What do you crave? Hold our hearts, our histories, share it on. Nico Whistler, and you are listening to Queer the Table on the Heritage Radio Network. A few months ago, before I actually moved to Philadelphia, I visited and met up with Owen Taylor, whose voice you heard just before the song. We walked to one of my favorite parks in West Philly to talk about his company, True Love Seeds. I sincerely hope that the sound of the ice cream truck rolling by in the background brings you some sweet, nostalgic joy. I'm going to turn your own question on you and ask what seed tells your story. Okay. Um, gosh, there's a lot. I, you know, I, yeah, I do ask every single grower, including myself and my apprentices, this question. Um, and so before I answer the question, I want to say first that I think it's really important for everyone that I work with to answer this question. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's immigrants and people of color who are expected to kind of bring the cultural piece to the table, right? And I've done a lot of, um, work with white people around anti-racism. And I, we were doing one up at Soulfire Farm in New York um, for, for white farmers. And it became clear through our conversations that, you know, we've all lost something in becoming American. It's kind of part of the assimilation story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while white people have gained whiteness and white privilege, we've also lost 
um, our culture. And it's important for us, instead of kind of grasping onto everyone else's cultures, as we tend to do when we think we have no culture because of, you know, this myth of whiteness, why don't we look to see what is, what is ours, you know, what came before us with our ancestors. And so I've been really focusing on Irish and Italian seeds because of my particular ancestry. I grow this squash called Lunga di Napoli, which is really long, as it's called, Lunga. Um, can be up to maybe three feet, four feet sometimes long. It's from Naples, also in the title, Lunga di Napoli. Um, and you could really feel it, feed a whole village um, with it. And I love growing it, mostly because it's just amazing to look at, but also because <laughs> it provides so much food and is really pest and disease resistant. And I grow an um, Irish potato called... Um, the lumper. Of course, potatoes are Andean, but um, we also know that a big part of their story happened in Ireland. And this was the potato that both saved Irish people, you know, it was like while the food was being shipped to England, all the good food, there's this myth that there wasn't food in Ireland and that's why people starve, but it's really has a lot to do with what's still happening today with... um, rich countries extracting resources from poor countries. And the lumper potato was considered fit for livestock. And so it's something that they get to have and feed themselves with. And a potato is almost a complete nutrition. The problem was that when disease struck and the potatoes were wiped out, um, then that's when the famine came about. So I grow this potato kind of in remembrance of my great-grandmother, Mary, who, who was born and raised on a farm in Western Ireland and um, that grew potatoes, among other things. So these are are two of the stories. I grew lots of Italian and lots of Irish crops, but these are two of the stories. Mm -hmm. True Love Seeds is a year old? Two years old? Yeah, this is the second year of selling seeds. Mm -hmm. What have been some, like, incredible growth or change moments that have happened in that time? Yeah, it's still such a young project. I think, again, the greatest thing has been the collaborations. I've never run a business before. Um, I've been in nonprofits, and I intentionally stepped out of that because of the, the, you know, conflicts within myself around grant cycles and orienting ourselves towards funders while saying we're oriented towards the community and shifting priorities based on what money's coming in. That was hard for me to stomach, and, and I, I really believed in the food justice work I was doing at Just Food in New York City for so long. I really did, and I think it did a lot of good. But I could never shake the feeling that I was the biggest beneficiary of my work through my paycheck, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. my benefits. Um, and so I know that it was good work, but I also felt conflicted about it, you know. I'm like, why am I in this position, this, like, rural white kid from Connecticut <laughs> doing work in communities of color and making this paycheck. So I was like, how can I build a different model for what I'm doing where I'm not chasing after things, changing my mission all the time, having funding one year and not the other? How can I instead have a business that either is or isn't supported by people based on the value of the thing that's being produced? Not that I'm like wanting to be a capitalist, but I do want to orient towards people. And, and especially lifting up the stories of the growers and the crops that they find important, it's been pretty awesome to see that people are excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a relief for me yeah. to see that people want 
Dahi Dulce, you know, or the Malachia or the Kusa from Palestine or whatever, the Lunga de Napoli, that people are like, there's my crop, there's my seed, you know. And so there's a hunger for these, these crops. Right. People are looking for these seeds. So it's been really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that incredible photo that you posted um, with a chef from Syria and like a reunion with the crop, which is... I can't imagine. I now live in a really small community where it is hard to get plantains, but it's not impossible. They come into the grocery store like every two months, and I feel like I have a mini version Mm -hmm. of that moment of like, I can make Puerto Rican food, but for that chef to go 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my, that, those moments are my absolute favorite to like play matchmaker. You know, <laughs> that's what it feels like. It's like, but it's not like a matchmaker where they hadn't met before. And you know, it's the rematriation piece, or like just the reunification between people and their tastes of home. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was one of the most powerful moments with the Molochia. Um, But it's been great to see that in many forms. You know, and I hope to do more of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited to one of the. I've taught at farm school in New York City for almost, well, maybe a decade. I don't know, a really long time, almost a decade. And one of the students from the first class approached me last week about growing seeds for the catalog, and I'm really excited. Um, And he's going to focus on some Puerto Rican crops, which is his background, and some other Latino and African diasporic crops, um, which which I'm really excited about. So that's what kind of gives me, like the will to keep going. Not that I ever feel like I don't have it, but that like really fuels me, you know, those kind of connections. I want to talk about seed keeping specifically because I've read um, or I've, I've seen in interviews you make the differentiation between seed saving and seed keeping. Um, And so before we even get into why seed keeping, can you explain that? Sure. I mean, really it's a, I was introduced to this concept of seed keeping by my friend Blaine Snipstall of Black Dirt Farm Collective, who had been at the White Earth Land Recovery Project's annual Indigenous Farming Conference. And so at this conference in Minnesota, um, you know, people talk about it as seed keeping. It's a, it's, a lot of people around the world use this phrase to really connotate not just say the saving of genetic material, but the saving of culture, the saving of traditions, the stories that come along with the seeds. You know, I like to say seed keeping to kind of follow in that vein, you know, think about how are we making sure we're not losing the cultural piece along with the seeds. It's so easy for people to just consider them genetic material and, and almost like the way land grabs are happening, we just do these seed grabs. You know, somebody cared for that. We've been farming for 10,000 years, right? And so the foods that we're eating we're shaped by countless generations of ancestors. And as soon as we lose the name even of the seed, let alone the story, we kind of lose that lineage. Um, and so for me, that's really important to hold on to and to pass down because we can learn so much about ourselves and our people and, the, and other people from holding on to those stories. Right. And you also do work with growing the seeds, but also giving seeds back to either people that have cultural or ancestral connections to them or regions. Is that right? Yeah, it's um, that's been really important to me. My previous work was at a private seed collection, mm-hmm. the Roughwood Seed Collection, <laughs> and it was awesome. I learned so much. I was there for four years managing the the collection, but it was very much, you know, a living museum. 
right? And so, so many peoples from all over the world, including many indigenous peoples, seeds were in this collection. And that's a really important role for someone to play because from there, you can do this work of rematriation. You know, when, when some seeds have been lost in the communities that they originally come from, there's this opportunity from a seed bank like that to do this rematriation work, which is a term I've learned from Rowan White, who's a Mohawk seed keeper and a dear friend of mine. This idea, you know, the same thing with important, quote-unquote, artifacts in museums that are being repatriated um, from the museums back to their original people. That's the same idea with, with seeds. And so I think, you know, the reason I focus on people's ancestral seeds, I think I really, the bigger thing for me is not just grow your ancestral seeds, but, but to, like, have community sovereignty and seed sovereignty and have control over your food system and what's a better relationship to form with a seed than than the seed that your people were caring for to me it, it seems like the farmers i'm working with are much more committed to this work because they're holding these precious seeds that that feel connected to their story okay time for a quick break owen and i'll be back in a minute talking about all of the ways that seed keeping and queer chosen family are connected episode is brought to you by you. As an independent, member-supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on Heritage Radio Network is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fund drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. I have a question that I am not sure how to frame. As you're talking about this, like, connection to ancestry, um, and there's, like, a through line there that speaks to family Mm -hmm. for some people. Um, And I don't know if this question has an answer, but I'm thinking about queer family and queer family structures Mm -hmm. over time. But I am wondering if you see a through line Mm. between queer community or queer ancestry and seed saving. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I think more in my own context, and I'll think about the historical context a little more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I think about this a lot. A friend of mine made a, a documentary called Out Here, Queer Farmer Film Project, mm-hmm. and he's now one of my growers. Um, and we grew up together. He's friends with my sister, Jonah Mossberg. Um, and I remember back then when he was interviewing me and my partner about, like, what does it mean to be a queer farmer? Mm-hmm. We were like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're queer, we're farmers. Um, but it does manifest in, my, in, like, the workings of True Love Seeds in that my community is historically a queer community. And so as I've been working with growers, 
my friends have been like, can I be your grow- one of your growers? And so it's not something I advertise with True Love Seeds. Like really I try to focus on who's doing work to further collective liberation and food justice, right? And my emphasis has really been on racial and economic justice. And how can this work with ancestral seeds and seed keeping be towards racial and economic justice in the food system? And so that's the story that I put out there. That's the story I think needs to be told. Uh, We see a lot of work happening around seed saving that's not explicitly about justice and sovereignty. And I think that that's really important for us to be focusing on that. How can seed production be in service to community food sovereignty and, 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 and liberation. That said, especially as a young person, my whole world was queer. I mean, when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, I moved to the Bay Area with no plan except for to start a queer collective with my friends, you know. I was like, hey, here we are, Oakland or whatever, San Francisco, let's, we're going to start a queer collective. Because it was, queerness was a very exciting idea for me at that moment, mm-hmm. you know, just having learned about it and kind of feeling this, like, all-encompassingness of it and um, in terms of, you know, having first thought of myself as bisexual and then gay and then, wait a minute, there's a whole world of queer and and um, it's radical and it's, you know, we all believe in, you know, social change and, and kind of challenging kind of these normative ideas about what it means to build family and community. Um, that was very exciting to me. And... And at the same time, I worked with some friends on a farm. And so it just all melded together in this, like, kind of dream of mine to someday live on some collective farm with my queer family. And so, yeah, these threads kind of braided together and were inseparable. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think farming is inherently queer or whatever. Like, it's just like a human. It's like we've been doing it for 10,000 years. It's what we do. But I think that this this kind of idea of, of doing it collectively or or in ways that support the greater good, also not only queer, but definitely lends it, you know, is connected to this queer impulse, mm-hmm. you know, of, of um, at least the part of queerness that feels like it's trying to build something together. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel succinct and articulate, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the answer. <laughs> I think that does make a lot of sense. And yeah, I am sure that with deeper digging, there are like land projects that have historical context for it, but it also seems like there might be people creating more of a context for like queer seed saving or mm-hmm. queer ancestral connection through seed now. I mean, maybe there's threads in there like this kind of impulse that you know queer communities have to form family networks and to find kind of self sufficiency with each other. It kind of has some Venn diagram overlap with, like, Back to the Landers, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the same <laughs> impulses, um, you know, depending on which segment of the queer community you've been talking about. But it does seem like there's this always this dream. It's like it's kind of counter to the American dream of kind of this nuclear family, mm-hmm. but instead, like, collectively building some alternative where we support each other. Right. And, and and have some degree of self-sufficiency. Yeah. And so it does lend itself to, like, farming does lend itself to, like, queer culture and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure there's a thread in there around yeah. this. And, and, you know, I do know a lot of seed keepers who are queer and think of it as part of their, their work around preserving culture. Um, you know, my mentor identifies not as queer, but as a gay man. He's from a different generation, and... And I see myself kind of continuing his legacy. And, and it's interesting, my obsession with, like, whole k- 
carrying history and carrying family history as someone who may or may not procreate, you know, in my, within my own immediate family. Um, and I'm like, is this part of how I'm procreating? I'm like <laughs> replicating, you know, histories and, and preserving them for the future. And, and I'm all day, every day, helping plants to procreate and sharing <laughs> those babies with the world. <laughs> so anyway, there's lots of areas to explore. Right. And that said, I've helped with queer family building. And I do have, you know, friends who I've helped to have a child who I'm very much a part of her life. Mm-hmm. And that feels related to the work that I'm doing with plants as well. Yeah. Like finding ways to help these people and plants like kind of make it to the future. That's a really beautiful connection. I mean, I guess a big question that comes up is, yeah, you are doing so much futurism work just in saving these seeds. Um, but I'm wondering what kind of hopes you have both for true love seeds in the immediate future, maybe, and what you hope kind of the lasting impact of this moment that you're in will be. Okay, for the immediate future, I'm just really excited to be working with more farmers who are committed to social justice and healing within their community. And so that's that's usually where my biggest excitement is, is especially when it's people that I've known for a really long time and are are kind of seeing what we're doing and, and wanting to incorporate it into their into their farm projects. Um, and also going deeper with the groups that I'm already working with, people who've been doing it for a year or two in collaboration with True Love Seeds, seeing the possibilities, seeing the challenges in seed production, and wanting to take it deeper. Because really, for me, the goal is building seed sovereignty and building food sovereignty. And so the deeper I can go with the farmers that I'm working with, to the point where producing seeds is second nature, then like goal met. That's like what I'm hoping for. Obviously, we don't all need to be producing seeds for sale, but it's been an interesting project, a tangible project for these groups to kind of have this goal of producing so much high-quality seed and either meeting it or not and doing it differently next year. Um, And so that's been really great, and I just want to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And you've been training folks who were maybe producing food but not for producing for seed on how to do that, right? Right. There's only one... There's, only, there's two of the two two of the twenty something farms that I'm working with had produced seeds for other catalogs before. I wasn't looking for experienced seed producers, but people whose work kind of was in line with kind of this vision for food justice and food sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been a lot of mentorship. It would have been easier in some ways to work with experienced seed producers, um, but. That's not my, my personal goal in life, you know, to, like, create a smooth-running seed company that's just all about my... I'm not, like, curating a specific catalog. Like, that's not my goal. I'm, I'm, it's all about relationships for me, and both between True Love Seeds and the growers and the growers and the seeds that they steward. And so that whole process is what it's all about for me, is helping people to become seed stewards. Right. Yeah. So... Um. And we didn't get to big, far-off hopes for the literal seeds that you're planting now. But <laughs> here's, here's my hopes for, like, the movement, the seed-keeping, the seed-sovereignty movement. I mean, my view of it is often in conferences geared towards seed companies. 
And I've been to, gosh, over the years, like I can't even count how many food conferences I've been to and I'm tired of it. But I have to go to these seed conferences because I learned so much and the connections are so important. And, I, and I'm still so new to this. So I get so much out of seed conferences. And they're also like the whitest conferences I've ever experienced in my life by far. And their conferences are already fairly, pretty white often. But this is off the charts. And so my long-term hopes is that the seed movement is, is more reflective of kind of the global seed keepers as well as the seed keepers in the U.S. who are not necessarily at these conferences. And, you know, people ask me, where can we support, you know, besides buying seeds from True Love Seeds, where a lot of the growers are people of color, where are their seed companies run by people of color? And there's very few. And so, you know, my long-term hopes are to support kind of the building up of the movement to be more representative of, of the people who are from and who live here. Right. Yeah, because it's not necessarily that, it's not at all that the majority of seed savers or seed keepers are white. Absolutely it's just not. that. It's probably opposite. Yeah. I mean, the majority of farmers are, are and globally, are people of color or women. Um, and in this country, usually seed keepers are immigrants, refugees, you know, people who are still grasping on to, you know, home, right? And the big issue with seeds People point at Monsanto, people point at the consolidation of the seed industry. Um, these are really big problems, but I think the biggest problem is that we've left the land, right? And we've, and we've left a lot of ourselves behind, which usually includes language and religion and dance and seeds. You know, our, our food culture is really connected to the land and we've like kind of celebrated our, our um, success in this country. Like we're a rich country, we don't have to grow food anymore. And that means that we've lost so much you know we've lost that that connection to what makes us who we are and a lot of times we don't know we're even missing it and so yeah when you look at who are the seed keepers usually it's it's people who are either indigenous people who are defending um their land and their lives and their culture or immigrants and refugees who are who have not kind of given that up if listeners want to learn more about your work and support your work where and how can they do that? Oh, uh, well, social media is a great way to, to follow what's going on, to, to hear some seed stories, etc. So I'm um, at Seed Keeping on Instagram, um, True Love Seeds on Facebook, Seed Keeping at Tumblr. But also check out the catalog, um, trueloveseeds.com, especially if you go to the tab that says Meet the Farmers and, and just take a look um, go visit those farmers' pages, um, get to hear their stories. I think that's really the best way. So there you have it. Go check out True Love Seeds. It's still technically July, which means it is not too late to plant some vegetables or some flowers. Queer the Table is produced by me, Nico Whistler. Our logo is by Natalie Uduwella. Denali Gillespie wrote the theme song that you heard at the top of this episode, but today Owen and his band My Gay Banjo are going to play us out. This is Limp Wrist and a Steady Hand. We'll link it as well as the True Love Seeds site and their social media accounts in the show notes. You got a limp wrist and a steady hand. I got a strong army to be your man. This when you're excited. And you can't hide it. Got a big old heart. Bum, bum, under your chest. Bum, bum, raise your glasses higher. I will buy her. 
do for your mother Above your collar, the city It turns me mean Your country has a turn of green Rough around the edges While the reckless Your foot loose You're a fancy freak on the dance floor At the end of the week Buy me a tequila I will heal ya You're a tall order You're a tall glass I wanna roll with you in the tall grass You're so good I order Drink your bath water Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.